Um, good evening. Tonight, we are continuing our series in 1 John, the book of 1 John. We're walking through the entire book of 1 John, and then we're going to actually wrap up 2 and 3 John as well. Um, but 1 John, we're right in the middle of it. And uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open to 1 John, chapter 3, 11 through 24. As you can tell, this is a little bit different than we normally do. This is a different night, and I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm actually just going to take a few moments, maybe about 10 minutes, and kind of walk through the passage, make a few points and a few comments about it, and then I'm going to invite some friends up. Uh, to talk through it, to talk about the passage, to talk about what it is to uh, love and be filled with the joy of God, to be the joy of God to others, and to delight in his joy, to delight in his love for us. And that love is actionable. That's, that's the heart of our whole passage tonight, is that love is actionable. It means doing something. It means doing something. It's not just a feeling. There's more to it than that. By the way, if anyone in here is not yet married, which I think that's a lot of people, when you get married, that truth just like hits you like a ton of bricks. You're like, oh man, but I tell her I love her all the time. And then it's like, oh, but I kind of got to show it. <laughs> Dang. And you just realize what it, what it means to love in the fullness of love, not just the sentiment of it. So we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about that tonight. So 1 John chapter 3. Verse 11, we're going to start right there. It goes like this. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Verse 12, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So this brings us to our first point that I want you to remember and hold on to, and that is, Hatred is an attack on relationship. Hatred is an attack on relationship. Now, that may be obvious. You may be like, well, yeah, duh. Come on, Brian. But I think it's true for most of us that we operate in hatred more often than we'd like to realize. We, we operate sometimes, I can speak for myself, with disdain and contempt and indifference to others. Indifference to the other person's soul, the other person's needs, the other person's wounds. And Cain here is given as the example. Cain is this guy who has a brother, right? You know, he's kind of, he's near the beginning. Genesis, check it out. And uh, Cain, when, when uh, he, he sees his brother Abel, he sees his brother's offering is more pleasing to God, and he hated him for it. He was jealous that his brother did better than him, and he murdered his brother. Even after God warned him, God was like, Cain, be careful, man. You're feeling some things. Be, be careful with what you do with those feelings, how you respond to that. God warned him, and still it came out. And I think most of us, I can speak for myself, but many of us often, like Cain, harbor jealousy foster contempt for the one we're jealous of. And this, too, is a manifestation of hatred. And it divides. It wounds. It brings death, not life. And it doesn't always have to result in literally someone's heart stopping and blood being spilled. It still can bring death. 
when we get a clearer picture of what love, love really looks like, we'll see more clearly the hate within us that we've minimized, that we've justified, and we'll see the damage it causes. Hatred is an attack on relationship. Okay, verse 13, let's keep rolling. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. It's odd. We'll come back to that. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. And anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So, coming back to that, if the world hates you, do not be surprised. See, like Cain, he's given as an example here, and this line follows that example on purpose. See, Cain, in his shame for his lesser offering, in his shame, he disdained his brother's righteousness because of the contrast it was to his own lack. His inclination as naturally sinful people, which is us, his inclination, was that me, Chris? Sorry. Sorry, everybody. I'm distractible. His inclination, as many of ours is, is to loathe his brother rather than confront his weakness within himself. Do you do that? It's much easier in the moment. See, for Cain, his shame... Or his guilt, I'm sorry. His guilt led to shame. And that shame to jealousy and hatred for his brother, rather than that guilt leading to repentance, changing his ways, to turn from it. And that guilt leading to repentance and then life and restoration with his brother and with God. We have a choice to make. And God calls us to something better. But I got to be honest, it's harder. (laughs) In the moment, it's harder. But over the long term, sometimes even over the actually the very short term, let's be honest, it's much easier to be honest, to become clean, to be humble, and to have peace between yourself and others. That's so much easier. That's so much easier than hatred. John, what he's saying here in these verses He's saying, if Abel's loving and righteous heart and actions towards God and others brought conflict, it brought harm to him, that we shouldn't be surprised if it does the same for us. And that sounds so crazy. Why would people harm you for being righteous? Well, man, check, take a look at yourself and how often you do it to others within your own heart. Out of jealousy, out of contempt, out of, man, I don't, I don't pray like that person does. Oh man, they can they're, they're better than me. We start we start comparing ourselves to other people and measuring our hearts, our identities uh, uh, against other people rather than bring ourselves before the Lord to where he can secure us as Dick Thompson shares. He can sh- secure us unto risk, unto loving others, unto exposing ourselves for others' sake, including being humble and vulnerable when we've done something we shouldn't have or when we could do better. It's all for our good. It continues, verse 14 and 15 right here, right? He's talking about love and life and death and hate. 
And that brings us to the next point, and that's the things of God and the things of sin are on the opposite sides of a divide. They're on the opposite sides of a divide. It's a divide. The things of God and you have the things of sin, they're on the opposite sides. It's not a spectrum. They are the antithesis of one another. And so visually, I like visual things. I want to show you this kind of image here of you've got the things of God. Oh, maybe you can kind of see it, hopefully. You got the things of God on this side, and this is who he is, but also who we're called to be. And you got like love and righteousness and truth and selflessness, joy, peace. And then you've got the things of sin, the evil one on this side, like hate and corruption, lies and pride and murder, competition. And I think it's easy to be like, well, they're closer than we might think. We bring justifications into things. We, we weigh ourselves on this sliding scale. But the reality is that we all must grapple with, they don't touch. They don't touch at all. Not even a little bit. They should not mingle. They should not mingle at all. They cannot mingle. It's like water and oil. They cannot mix. They're complete opposites of each other with no thread in between other than the beautiful, incredible love of Jesus, the grace that he showed us that could bridge that gap. But outside of that, nothing should bridge that gap. Nothing can. I think uh, through this whole book of First John, he kind of gives three tests uh, for us to measure the proof of a genuine Christian. And those three tests are the truth test, the love test, and the moral test. The truth test, the love test, and the moral test. He's saying if we believe in what the Bible teaches is true, if we show the love of Jesus to others, and if our conduct has been changed and is becoming more like Jesus, it's got a trajectory. We're moving from these things to these. We're moving this direction. Sorry. Oh, is that my beard? Oh, should have should have trimmed it. Should have trimmed it. Sorry for the distraction, everybody. Or like oiled it. Anybody do like anybody have a beard? Oil their beard or something? One clap. I need to talk. We need to talk because I need help. Okay. Great. Meet me after. Show me what to do. Uh, the um uh, where was I? <laughs> Distractible. So if those three tests are true then we can be sure that a claim of being a Christian is proven true. It's not about perfection, but it's about movement. It's about direction. This divide between these things. The things of this side are truly the antithesis of the things on that side. There's no gradient. There's just light and dark. There's life and death. There's truth and lies. There's love and hate. There's not an in-between. It's one or the other. We love neutral. It's an easy way out. As children of God, we belong to this side and should seek continually to be redeemed by God's love, by his love from these things unto these things. The things of God and the things of sin are on opposite sides of the divide. Opposite sides. He continues in verse 16. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 
And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. He gives a practical example. He says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And so here's the point. Examples are necessary. At the top, we see we know what love is. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Yeah, it's just too much. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And so to follow his example, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jesus is the perfect example. And examples are necessary. You can't just have the right knowledge. We've got to see it. We've got to see it and follow it. We can have all the words in the world, but it's examples that truly teach us. And Jesus is our example, our perfect example of life lived. Subpoints here. What does that look like? What does that example look like as we see it here in verses 17 through 18? First, that love thinks of others. Love thinks of others. Thinks of their perspective. How to soothe their insecurities. Believing the best in them. Like I know for myself, I am often so inclined to operate from a self of self-protection, self-preservation. And like in a non-life-threatening situations, like this is to my detriment. It's to my detriment and the detriment of others. I think we often fixate on the justifications and importance of our perspective. We assess the like risk-reward like continuum based on our own insecurities rather than the well-being of others. And we demand others to believe the best in us even when when, whenever there's a gap between like what we've experienced, what they've experienced, and what we've said, it's like, you, but you believe the best in me. You, my intentions were good. And we get all mad when like we didn't communicate well. We didn't do something well. It's like I meant good, and then, but you didn't experience good. Now you're mad. Well, how dare you should have believed the best in me. And yet we don't offer that same courtesy to others. Love thinks of others. Often our inclination is self-preservation, self-protection, but that's not love, which is wild. (laughs) Even in his suffering, Jesus saw the other side, the other perspective, the other heart. Like, think of these verses. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As Jesus hung on that cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As the example we have to follow Jesus shows us that love thinks of others. Thinks of others. He doesn't just tell us. He shows us. What a beautiful thing. I love that Jesus didn't write a book like he commissioned others to do that. You know what he did? He said, for three years, I'm going to walk with some dudes and show them. He exampled to them life. I think we all can say that we crave that ourselves. To have examples to follow to see what love looks like so that we can mimic it. So much of, a, I think, how we operate is like we know the concepts of love, but what does it look like? What does it look like? And that's actually why we're doing the panel up here, is to talk about that, to share that. The second point here is that love is actionable. Love is actionable. It's not just words or feelings. In, f- in fact, uh, 
John's saying that like love without deeds is not really love at all, right? It's just lip service. I think we all kind of get that. The two quotes I want to share, I think these are really wonderful. First is from Adam Clark, and it's specifically on this verse talking about that practical, like if you see your brother or sister in need who, who has a need, do you share with them? And he says this, here is the test of love. If we do not divide our bread with the hungry, we certainly would not lay down our lives for him. Whatever love we may pretend unto mankind, if we are not charitable and benevolent, we give the lie to our profession. And then C.S. Lewis says this, It is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Examples are necessary. And Jesus gives us the perfect example that love thinks of others and love is actionable in each and every little moment. It doesn't have to be grand. It doesn't have to be heroic. It's in the moment, looking at someone else, loving them, valuing them, cherishing them, putting that into action. Verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. This may be confusing to you. It's confusing to me. And so I spent some time in this and this is where I kind of came around to. And this is the point. Trust him for the work he has done in you and through you and the work he will do in you and through you. Trust him for both. When you see the love of God at work in yourself, you don't need to raise your hand, but think for a moment. Have you ever seen the love of God at work in you? Have you ever, has there ever been a moment where you're like, wow, God must really love that person because of the way I responded in that moment. That wasn't me. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever done that? Have there been things in your life where you're like, wow, I was spurred. God called me into something in some way, whatever it looks like. And wow, that's different than I was a year ago. The love of God has been at work in me. He's doing something. Whenever we see the love of God at work in ourselves, our weak, corruptible self, we should rejoice in it. Just rejoice, celebrate be overwhelmed, be in wonder that like, you chose me. I love that song, Pride of a Father, that we sang before. He loves to do good things in us. And when we see those things, it's a confirmation that he is with you and in you. It's a confirmation. We need to remember those things. We need to hold tight to them. Because when you don't see it, and you mourn your frailty, your unrighteousness, your unloving reactions and thoughts, remember what, what he has already done. Remember that he has done something in you and trust the God who can finish the loving thing he started in you. Remember those times when he has worked and know that he doesn't do things aimlessly. He spreads seeds and they grow. They do something. They produce a fruit. And if he started producing fruit in your life, well, hey, he must be with you. 
so don't give up. You know, my wife and I have this like vine growing over this thing and like we planted it at the beginning of summer. It started growing great and it's just really taken off and it's honeysuckle, if you know that, and it like smells wonderful, right? And it was just taken off and then it was like, oh, I should make like an arch and then it'll like look beautiful and it'll be like storybook, and, you know? So I like try and do that and the vine started going and then it just started withering. It just, it just wasn't making it. I don't, and I gotta be honest, I don't know what happened, but it just like, what, it just wasn't good. Stuff started dying off. And so my wife, Amy, she was like, I'm gonna go like just prune it back. And I was a little afraid. I was like, no, don't prune it back. Like, what if we kill it? I don't know. Is pruning the right thing with honeysuckle? I don't know. And so she went and she pruned it all back and she cut it all back. And it was like all the foliage, all the like filler that was all in there was all gone. But you know what? The vine was just still as tall. There was just less on there. And within a day or two, it just was like the leaves that were left just started Glowing. I don't know. It was like the green was deeper. Everything was more beautiful. And it's like God does that in our lives sometimes. And it doesn't look like there's fruit. And you're like, what is going on? And he's like, I got something. Plan, be patient, be patient. I love you, be patient. And that vine is like looking beautiful now. My wife's smarter than I am with vines for sure. Anyway, remember what he's done in you. Trust his judgment over your own. He decided to do something good in you at one point. Trust that judgment. Guess what? He like sees the end of this whole thing. If he did something good at one point, like he judged that worth doing. So he's not done. Hmm. A last line here on this, and then we'll read the, some more verses. Is uh, As his child... There is no place in our lives for pride, nor for self-loathing. There's no place for pride. If God did something good, if you're like, dang, wow, I love in ways I never did before, don't take that as your own, like, I'm awesome, look at me. But recognize it is the work of God. And if you don't see it, don't wallow, don't crumble. But let him lift your chin up to see that he is with you and he's not done. You are his child and he's proud of you. Continues. We have confidence before God. Verse 22. And receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. I'm just going to read that again. We receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Verse 23. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. And the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. This is our final point. Thy will be done, not my will be done. Thy will be done, thy will be done, not mine, Lord. I want to make a distinction here, especially out of verse 22 at the top. A distinction between the prayer of the man or woman who is saved, who knows Jesus, who has received his death, burial, and resurrection, and what that means for their life, who has received his spirit and stepped into life with him. There's a difference between that and the cry of the heart seeking mercy from God and Jesus. 
for the, for the sinner who comes to Jesus in prayer seeking mercy, the only requirement, the only requirement is, is, is sincerity of heart. That was hard to say. The only requirement is sincerity of heart. That's it. God does not, does not command our obedience before he saves us. But once we've come into salvation and adoption into his family, the joy of our hearts and the joy of his heart is for us individually and collectively as a whole to be in such close fellowship with him that we ask for the things that are on his heart. We desire to do the things he would do. The spirit of true prayer is thy will be done, not my will be done. We turn to prayer to call into action what God desires. That's what we do in prayer as believers, to call into action what God desires. And some of the things God desires will directly and personally benefit you. It will. Some of the things God desires call us out to risk. To risk what we are, what we have for the love and building up of others. It's his will, not ours, that matters. Thy will be done, not my will, Lord. So, that's the gist of our passage. And those points, I hope, are references for you as we go. But what I want to do now is invite up some of my friends. We got Dick Thompson and AJ, Sarah, Gemma, Brian Howard. I'd love to invite Brian up. I've asked him to kind of lead us. Through. Yeah, let's see them. These are good people. Good people. And they're going to talk through the practicality, the real life, rubber hitting the road. What does this look like? Because like I said, we can talk about it all we want, but what we really need are examples. And so they're going to share and take it from here. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Very good. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for walking us through that text, and I hope you continue to be encouraged by the book of 1 John this fall. Uh, I just think the further we go into this book, the more we realize um, what God calls out of the life of a disciple, that it's not just sort of saying we believe something, but it's really living this out in a particular way. You know, one of the things we've said before about Christian faith is that Christian faith is not a myth, and Christian faith is not a fairy tale. You, you know how myths and fairy tales start, right? Like a long time ago in a faraway kingdom, or the most famous one I always say is, 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 is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? Right, that, that, that's myth, that's fairy tale. It happened so long ago, you can never know in a faraway place, but, but Christianity didn't happen so long ago in a faraway place. It happened here in recorded history with real people and real lives and real stories. And so tonight with this panel, our, our real hope here is to present to you real lives and real people and real story, flesh and blood people with the spirit of God living in them, trying to live out what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus in 2021. Um, we haven't invited these four up here, and they'll be the first to say this because these are perfect followers of Jesus who never sin and never struggle. Uh, actually, we've invited these four up here because we want to try to understand what it looks like in real life and practice to love others as God has called us to love uh, and to love God the way he's instructed us to. And so uh, maybe we can start this way. Uh, Dick, can I start with you? Why don't you just introduce yourself real briefly, who you are and kind of what your role in history here is at Calvary. Yeah, hi, I'm uh, Dick Thompson. I'm the pastor for Seasoned Adults Ministry here at Calvary. Uh, yeah, so exciting. We, uh, we, we kicked off uh, about a month ago with the, the Salt Company. You are welcome to come and visit. We'd love to have you on Sunday morning at 1030, second or fourth Sunday morning, but that's what I'm doing at Calvary. 
Wonderful. Gemma? Um, I'm part of our young adults ministry here. I'm a student at Cal Lutheran. I'm studying to be a doctor, and I'm also a part of our elementary ministry here at Calvary. Um, I serve at Outreach Tuesdays, and at YA, I'm on the prayer team, and I lead a small group. Awesome. Sarah? I'm Sarah, and I want Gemma to take my job one day, and I, <laughs> and I work here. <laughs> AJ. <laughs> hey, guys. Uh, my name is AJ. Uh, I lead a, a co-ed young professional small group with my amazing co-leader, Kelly. Um, and then I also um, lead an outreach program at Kalu called Young Life College um, that meets up on Tuesday nights. And we do very exciting stuff. Uh, on college campuses. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, thank you to the four of you for being up here. I want to jump right in. The, the text we looked at tonight began with this kind of obscure reference to Cain, this Cain and Abel story all the way at the beginning of the Bible. And I guess when we talk about love, maybe one of the first things we could do is actually talk about how we deal with the hate that's inside of our hearts. And we'd all like to assume that we never hate anyone, but in real life and practice, we, we can end up hating someone. So maybe uh, one of you can take us away. What do we do when we find ourselves hating someone, whether it be a family member, a friend, an ex, someone at our school, in our work, when there's hate going on in our heart, what's the first step for someone who's dealing with that? Well, I'll just jump in. Uh, you know, it's real. Uh, I think the first thing is, has to be honest, that we, we hate somebody. Um, and uh, right there, if that, and if, if it's done in the context of prayer, it's, uh, that's, that comes out like confession. Because mm. uh, it doesn't fit. So we're confessing before God. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think, Brian, my, my, my first, I mean, just kicked this off is uh, from, I, for me, it's uh, I got to start praying for this person. Mm. I got to, and, and the work's got to be done on my heart. And, and the work gets done on my heart by praying for that person that I hate. Mm -hmm. And it feels totally counterintuitive. Yeah. But it's, it's like just raw obedience. But I think that's where I got to start. Yeah, that's good. Let's get anyone else want to jump in when you, when, you, when you hate someone. And again, we don't want to pretend that never happens in the lives of Christians and followers of Jesus. What do we do? Uh, I think um, an important point to make, like, while I absolutely agree with that, is, like, hatred doesn't belong in the heart of a believer. Yeah. I mean, when you look at what the Bible says about hatred, it's talking about how the world hates us. Yeah. Um, and so, like, Matthew 10, 22 says, you will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. And so Jesus talks so many times about how the world will hate us because of him. In the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are those who persecute who persecute you and hate you because of me. Um, and so we shouldn't hate anybody. Yeah. Um, and I agree with that. Like when, when we do feel those feelings of hatred spring up in our heart, we need to identify them. Like yeah. Pastor Brian always says, like whatever you won't identify will only intensify. Mm -hmm. So when you don't identify what it is, you'll just grow more and more hatred. And, and so praying for each other, praying for those that we don't necessarily like, um, that's definitely the best thing you can do is intentionally loving them. And then the hate will just completely disintegrate. It's yeah. amazing how that happens, but it's the Holy Spirit moving through yeah. us. 
So I'm here and we want to identify it. We want to say it out loud. I hate this person. It has no place in the life of a believer. I want to confess it before the Lord and pray for them. And then maybe I could even layer on for someone, if you're hating someone who's a fellow believer, even in this church, pray with them. Just watch hate dissolve when you get on your face with someone before the Lord. It's this really beautiful thing. But let me shift gears on the hate subject and, and maybe I can get my left side in on this. Um, our culture, I think, tells a really pernicious lie. And that lie is if you disagree with me, I must hate you. Um, if I disagree with you on something, hate is the only proper response. Let, let me ask, how do we as Christians live and function and operate differently than, than that particular stance? Yeah, <laughs> thank you, Jay. Um, <laughs> no, I think that's really good. And I've, we have seen that a lot this past year. And yeah. um, I think it does take like the stepping back and understanding first, like, Gemma and Dick said, like, we don't hate people, even if you can hate a constant idea or like, I think of like, you know, Romans 12, nine, like love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Yeah. But also before you get to that point, still letting like God sit on the throne of judgment, because mm. at the end of the day, it's like, we're told we've all fallen short. And I think it's been really tempting to say like, well, that is like a pernicious sin or a pernicious yeah. evil or a pernicious like injustice in the world. Therefore, anyone associated with that, I'm going to like exit out of my circle. But the mm. thing is like, we do that enough and then like no one's in the circle yeah. and yeah. we don't get to choose who gets to be in the family of God, yeah. particularly um, the Lord does. So I think in that case, it is taking a step back and it is like the plank and the speck thing of like going, okay, like I can still stand for things that are just and things that are holy yeah, and things right. that are pure and good and be that person to call out something that is not aligning with the heart of God, but to be very careful of how you do that when there is a living, breathing, like yeah. made in the image of God person in front of you to say like, okay, like we considered earlier, like are we expecting them to treat me in turn the same way? Yeah. And to know that, like, do we believe that there's nothing that's actually beyond redemption? So it is, I think, taking that point of, like, if we really hate something, if we hate a concept that someone's embodying, are we more concerned about hating that evil, maybe that we're identifying, or that person, yeah. and then going to God humbly in prayer first before we, like, cancel culture them, right? Because yeah. if we we're going to be truthful, we all, I think, can fall into that category where we've done or said or thought something in our life where we deserve that, like... Yeah excommunication from a group of people, you know? Yeah, we, we also want to hate the sin inside of them like you would hate cancer inside of someone you love. Like Correct. you love the person, yeah. but you hate the cancer Yes, that's and you have permission, them, right? like, yeah, hate yeah. what is evil, cling yeah, to what is that's good. Right. That's exactly yes. right, yeah. Yes. Very good. AJ, you want to add anything? Yeah, I would, I would add that I feel like we should, we should acknowledge that usually if we hate someone, we probably feel like we have good reason to hate them. Like, or mm. we'll, I'll put it this way, like, um, you're like, oh, that person, they're, um, they're a hateful person, so uh -huh. it's okay for me to hate them because they're yeah. less moral than me. Or, uh, oh, no, no, that person, well, they belong to this group of people, so it's okay for me to hate them. Like, it's, we're never like, man, they're so amazing, I hate them. Yeah. It's usually like... <laughs> Although I, sometimes out of jealousy, I, we're like, ah, I hate him. Know, yeah. Like, usually you believe <laughs> that it's okay for you to have animosity towards someone, and then you employ that into your behavior. Yeah, so you're saying because they deserve it is a pretty lousy justification for hating someone. I would yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, so, so let, me, let me ask this. Brian kind of turned the 
turned the corner on us and started talking about sin and, and, and how sin is really this kind of antithetical thing that, that when it starts to seep into our life, it causes damage and we want this total separation where we're not walking in sin, but rather walking in the light. Talk to me, um, and this can go to any of you, about what kind of sins tend to damage friendships. So, so let's, let's get away from maybe the person at your work or school you hate um, and go toward friendships. What kind of sins or, or patterns of sins start to damage a friendship? I think the, uh, you know, friendships get damaged by breaking trust. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, somebody, you know, you, you, uh, you, you say you're going to have somebody's back and you, then you don't. Yeah. And trust takes a long time to repair. Yeah. You know, and, and that broken trust requires, you know, if, if there's ground underneath that, the, 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 the thing that happens that, that is trust breaking, there can be the possibility coming back saying, man, I really screwed up. Yeah. And own it. And, 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 uh, and that can actually build an even stronger uh, relationship uh, as a result of that. But yeah. I think trust, uh, when that's broken uh, and it's not acknowledged, is incredibly damaging yeah. long-term. Definitely. Um, I guess touching a little bit more on that, like when I think about the friendships that I don't want with people, I like to think about the good friendships in my life. Like what do I like in a friend? And so therefore, like what do I not like in a friend? Like you were talking about trust. So I I like a friend who's trustworthy. I like somebody that I can rely on. Um, So that means that I I don't want a friend who's not trustworthy. I I don't want a friend who's not going to be there for me. And the book of Proverbs has so many verses on friendship. Um, one in particular says, it's Proverbs 22, 24 through 25. It says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. So what's the point of having a friend? Like, what's the point of having a hot-tempered friend, right? Well, like, the Bible tells us, like, bad Bad company corrupts good character. So we don't want to be around people who get easily angered because then we're going to be easily angered. Like we want to be around people who make us feel good. And so, you know, that's not to say like we can't have friends that aren't Christian or like we can't have friends that don't follow Christ. But like we know that people who do follow Christ exhibit the traits of Christ. And the traits of Christ are somebody who's trustworthy, somebody who's reliable. Those are the kind of friends that we want. We want people who are striving to be like Christ. That's good. That's good. I mean, you guys, what, what types of, maybe, maybe you could even get personal or vulnerable or, or what ways your own sin has damaged friendships or what way you've seen sin in your own friendships damage um, your, your, your own relationships. Yeah, so what immediately came to mind that will kind of shift into something else is I think of like the sin of pride. Yeah. Um, I think that for me, it, and it, it's not always thinking highly of yourself, right? Like sometimes it is thinking much less of yourself. Mm. And just like even tonight was feeling like, man, like heavy in like the spirit of comparison. Yeah. And that can lead into like jealousy or uh, like, yeah. like covetousness. And it's basically looking at someone else, not being able to, as scripture calls us to, like rejoice with those who rejoice, yeah. mourn with those who mourn. It's suddenly we are diminishing the joy of another because we feel like we've been robbed of something. Yeah. I think yeah. that often comes from insecurity and I know these things don't always like scream like sin on the surface but in my own life I know that has robbed me from the ability to walk alongside people really well and also enjoy what God has given me and it's led to like this kind of twisted sense of pride where I feel like you know I deserve something my friend has therefore I can't be with them in that moment and actually I can actually receive the love that they have to give to me because I'm isolating a little bit from that from a place of like discontent if that yeah. makes sense. And, and it's such a good observation of how like, jealousy destroys our capacity to love people. When I'm jealous of you, I can't Absolutely. love you. And so if I don't 
deal with my own heart, I can't love you well. And I think that's such a like jealousy, covetousness, um, the pride that says I should have what you have and I'm more deserving of it. And I think that's Absolutely. a really good insight. Yeah, yeah. And I'd probably, add, I'd probably take it a step further and say that I think that we, we have a habit of sorting people into different groups, right? And um, the sin of partiality, I think, is the one that, that really hits, or this, I, I think has hit a lot the last year and a half, is that there's certain people who are the good guys, and there's certain people who are the bad guys. And we like to split people, or, it may, or we'll say some people are better than others. Um, so we'll say, like, whether it's someone who is a typical individual or a person who has special needs. We'll, we'll be partial towards the person who's typical and not the person who has special needs, and we we'll wanna hang out with them instead. Uh, or let's say it's someone who has similar political opinions than you or someone who has different political opinions than you. We'll be partial towards the person with the similar political opinions. Um, and so we start creating these categories and we say, some categories are better than others, oh yeah, and I'm in the good category. And so if any of my friends or the people around me are not in that good category, well, I mean, I guess I'll hang out with them until someone cooler comes along. Uh, and then we have this, you know, weird, like, sorting, basically, of like yeah. our friends of saying some are better than others. And, and it's remarkable really how that's happened in this last year, right, with 2020 and 2021, where you could add some new categories of vaccinated, unvaccinated, <laughs> mask, no mask, this politic, this, po like all of that kind of stuff. And, and, and I think that's wrecked friendships in this last year. And, and I love the word you put on it. It's a biblical word, the word of partiality, right? And so if you're convinced that only people who agree with you on COVID are worthy of your love and respect, you're not walking in the way of Jesus, right? Like that is not the way of Jesus. Uh, and so let, let me ask this question um, and maybe just shoot quick on this one. 2020, 2021, the last 18 months we've had as a culture, what are some particular sins you think are just kind of wrecking relationships within the church? Pride. Pride, yeah. Like a lack of willingness to learn, a lack of willingness to listen. I'm going to say I'm fond of it, like hidden sexual sin. Okay. I think this yeah. year has put a lot of things in the shadows. I think yeah. it's, and yeah. it's not just like romantic relationships, but friendships. Totally. There's certain things that we dig deeper holes in. And yeah. I, I've seen that one more than probably any other year of my life in totally. this community, outside this community. And like hidden sexual sin always impacts my relationships. Oh, it always, always impacts. impacts. It's yeah. the thing. Yeah, if you look right. at it in yeah. scripture, it's always going to impact yes. more than just yeah. the person. Yeah, that's good. You know, I, I would, uh, just to build on this, I, I think fear has just wreaked havoc in yeah. the last 18 months. Uh, and, and there's a lot of forces in the, in the culture, and I would think even spiritual forces behind them driving yeah. fear, which is very divisive and is ruinous of how we see each other. We start putting people in categories. You know, to, to, to bolster myself, I put somebody else down. All that, we've, that's yeah. all been in play the last 18 months. So, so let me ask this, going off the fear word, um, one of the things, as, as Brian was talking about love, love thinks of others, right? Love cares about others. But I think one of the great things that's connected with fear is our own insecurity, right? That's just another species of fear, right? How does insecurity rob you of the ability to love others? Because I'm just, I'm, I'm certain of this. I don't know everyone in this room. I'm just certain you're insecure about something um, like I am. And how does that rob me of my ability to love the person in front of me? When you're uh, in the grip, uh, you can't hear the other person. Yeah. You are listening to yourself. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, you know, I've been married 45 years. I know about this. Uh, and, 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 and marriage is a, is, a, is, a, is a wonderful adventure, but it's also its own kind of crucible, you know. 
uh, where, you, where you have to. Someone else knows you so well, and yeah. you are so vulnerable to this person. Um, and I, I think Susanna shared us when we did that long video thing last summer. Uh, you know, for, for me to have a sense that I am greatly loved of Christ, as we've been singing and preaching about tonight, to know that I am held by him secures me. Yeah. Then I feel safe. And when I feel safe, I can listen to you. Yeah. It's huge for me. Yeah, that's good. Gemma? Yeah, I think going off that a little bit more, like insecurity definitely stems from us not really knowing or accepting our true identity in God. And so, like, you know, if I'm, well, I guess like looking even back to the story of Cain and Abel, like you could say that Cain was insecure about his offering and it's like, okay, well, what did he do with that then? You know, because there are really two ways he could have gone. He was insecure. He could have brought a better offering to God. He could have actually brought his first fruit offering. Like for those of you who don't know that story, um, Cain and Abel were the offspring of Adam and Eve. And, um, what happened was both of them were bringing sacrifices to God. And so Abel, um, brought his first, like his best offering that he had from the livestock to God. And the scripture says that Cain just brought him some of like, just, you know, just an offering, like some of the fruits that he had. And so it's not a matter of like, oh, well, you know, Abel had livestock. And so God must have liked that better. Like what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is like, yeah, some people are going to be better than you. Like I know Pastor Brian said that, um, last week or the week before, like there's always going to be somebody better than you. There's always going to be something to be insecure about. And so, um, you know, instead of just bringing God the best that he had, um, Cain didn't do that. And then he became insecure and then that sprung up hatred in his heart. And so I think, um, going back to, um, what Dick was saying, it's like, we, when we're sure of who we are in Christ, like we, we don't need to be insecure about things. Like we can offer the best to him. Um, we can offer the best that he has because he deserves it because he calls us his children, right? Like he gives us our identity and because of that, we should give him everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's so good because the Cain story, it's not just that he was insecure, it's how he responded to that insecurity. So it's not that insecurity robs me of the ability to love. We all have insecurity. It's how I'm gonna respond to and deal with my insecurity. It's almost like the baseline assumption is we all have insecurity. The question is how will we deal with that? So, so let me kind of shift that question. If, if my assumption right here, our working theory tonight is everyone here is walking in insecurity of some kind. Um, one of the things when we talk about love is sort of how do, we, how do we be people that receive and bring in people in all of their different insecurities Let's say even into a place like this. So let me, let me put this on the ground real quick for everyone in here. We come in on Thursday night, 7 p.m., or some of you really like to attend the 725 service. It's great. Um, um, but, 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 but we come, I love you. Um, but, but you come into this place. Um, how do you show hospitality, love, welcome to people who are maybe on the outside, on the fringe, don't have a lot of friends? What's a way we can very practically sort of show hospitality and love for people who might feel insecure in church for whatever reason or might feel alone in church? What are some ways we can practically show hospitality and love? Yeah, so I'm just going to call it my friend Callie Stroll in the room tonight. Um, no, if you know her, you love her. Um, but each week she's been really awesome to text our of our prayer group chat and our small group leader chat, just to make the point of like, if you see someone in the room sitting alone, cause like we've all been that person, um, just say hi. Like not everyone's always like down for a conversation, but kind of even beyond that, like 
being in tune with the spirit to say like, okay, Lord, like you literally know the inward parts of every person in this room. You know what we need. Like, you know, before we even speak, like what we're going to say. So like highlight someone to go and talk yeah. to and sing, like, it is actually incredible what happens when you start to look outside of yourself and it's yeah. uncomfortable. Like it can be uncomfortable to be approached. It could be uncomfortable yeah. to step out. But I think there's always fruit in engaging together as the people of God because yeah. it actually conditions us, I believe, as we go out into the world. Because, like, we're all here. We kind of understand our common purpose. Like, it can be awkward, but, like, we're, we're kind of family here. But imagine, you know, like, even stepping outside these doors and going up to a complete stranger because you feel like the Lord is prompting to you to go and be salt and light in the world. It's like, man, like, what better place to start than here and around us and invite each other in because we're made for it. We're made to be received in that way. And that's verse 18, right? We don't want to lust love in words and speech, but in actions, right? And that action might be, like you said, walking 15 rows deep and just sticking out your hand and introducing yourself to someone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you have no idea how much that'll do. Um, that, that Just you walking across this room could, could change lives. What, what else do you guys think? Like on a, on a Thursday night, how do, how do we show hospi- hospitality love uh, to folks who are on Can, the edges? Yeah, let me tell a story on myself where I raised messed up. And it's, yeah. not, it's not the Thursday night uh, scene, but it was actually a gym where I was working out. And uh, it make, this makes, I'll do this fast. I, I walk by a guy, I'm going from one set of weights to something else, and I walk by this guy that I've seen there a number of times, and I say, this is how guys are, how you doing? Right, and he goes, he goes, hanging in there. And I keep walking, that's good, I keep walking. That was my opportunity, and I missed it. What I should have done is wheel around and say, What's up with that? No. It's, my point is ask two questions. Yeah, yeah. Ask two questions. Yeah. The yeah. second question says, I really want to know, how you doing? You give me a one to 10 scale, how you doing? You know, all of a sudden you're into something more interesting yeah. than just fine. Yeah, ask two questions. That's almost like something to put in your pocket, right? How you doing is like a standard question we all ask and don't listen. Right. Uh, but to follow up, or if you want to be real bold, sometimes I like to play 20 questions. Sometimes I'll even like count, like, okay, <laughs> just to make sure I'm not like, how are you doing? I'm good. And then I just move along with my life. Yeah. How do you really dig in and, and, and do that well? Um, AJ, yeah. you want to chime yeah. in Yeah, no, I, I was just going to say, I feel like that's, that's hard, <laughs> you know, because... Uh, I feel like we live in a world and like in a culture that's very go, go, go and super fast. And so the idea of, I'm already late to church yeah. anyway. Why am I going to stop and talk to someone who <laughs> and, I don't and know? And Pastor Brian's shaming uh, me. You know? yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, maybe that should tell us something that's about right. the that's way right. that we live yeah. our lives. Oh. Maybe for me, I need to slow down and I need to alter some elements in my life so that I have the space to see if, someone like their countenance is actually showing me like, oh, that person yep. needs a friend today. Yep. Uh, but you'll never get that chance unless mm-hmm. you make the space in your life to be able to slow down uh, and go against that cultural current that says, no, you need to be fast. You need to get everything done today. Um, now, 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 now. Yeah. But instead it's no slow down yeah. just like Jesus did. Yeah, that's good. Our, our senior pastor here at Calvary says, people were never an obstacle to Jesus. And every time he says that, I'm like, that is good. And I need to hear that um, because so often we, we can see that. Let, let me do this. We're, we're coming up on time here. So I'm going to okay. do two more questions for each of you. One is a rapid fire question. You've got 10 seconds to answer this. You'll, you'll notice how easy this question is to answer. Um, it'll be, uh, give me a rapid fire answer. And uh, there's, here's where I, I want to hear what God is doing in your life. God gets the glory, not you on this question. The question is in the last decade. 
in the last 10 years, how has God made you more of a person of agape love, more of a person of Jesus? So that's the question I want each of you to answer. Again, real simple, real easy. Um, and then I have a final question directed at each of you. How has God shaped you more into the image of a son? There's probably a hundred ways, but what's one way you know that you become more loving in the love of Christ? So we get 10 seconds. Uh, I, uh, I, I want to put the, in, in one word, turnaround. Practice turnaround. Mm. Walk by something, and, and but sometimes I get this word, turn around, and go back and see that person. Go back and engage in that conversation. And my, my experience, just like what Brian is saying, when I turn around, I step into that, I learn some amazing things happen inside of me as well as in the relationship. Yeah, beautiful. I get grown by practicing turnarounds. Beautiful. Turn around. I love that. AJ, you got it? Yeah, uh, I would say one word, probably diversity. And not like the fake performative version of diversity that culture often propagates, but actually God has surrounded me with diverse opinions, diverse thoughts, diverse people that have allowed me to learn to, because I love that person, I've now expanded my mind and expanded my heart to love more people. Beautiful, beautiful, well said. I guess my word is every day. Like God grows me every single day because I intentionally make the choice to read the Bible every day. I wake up every morning and I say, Lord, teach me something new. Like this is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And so um, I'm reminded of that quote by C.S. Lewis that says like, um, it's amazing how day by day, it doesn't really seem that different, but I look back and, and everything's changed. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Sarah. Yeah, uh, my word uh, would probably be savor. Um, mm. I think it's Reverend Gregory Boyle down with like Homeboy Industries talks about how we're not called to save people, we're called to savor them. So mm. to really delight in the people, like the literal people around you, not yeah. searching for yeah. better people or cooler people or whatever, but just whoever God has put around you to savor them. And yeah, that's, that's good. It's taking, it takes slowness, but it's good. That's good. All right, so I'm gonna give you each one final question here. You get 60 seconds on this question, okay? So you get a little bit of time here. Uh, and Gemma, I'm gonna start with you. Gemma, one of the things I love about you is you're on a prayer team here, and we here at YA value prayer. We believe in prayer. We believe everything good God is doing in this ministry is in response to prayer, to us asking him and his Holy Spirit doing it. How has being on the prayer team grown your heart of love for God's people? Yeah, well, being on the prayer team has definitely grown my love for the hearts of people. Um, I joined prayer team right away when I joined YA. Um, and what we do is we meet before service and we pray over the space. We pray over... What time um, do y'all meet? What time? Six. Six p.m., okay. Six, yeah, out in the <laughs> atrium. Um, and so, like, we pray over the space. We pray over the sermon. And, and that's absolutely key. Prayer is key. It's foundational to a walk in, in the Christian yeah. life. Because, you know, we have this saying that, like, right, Christianity is not just a religion. It's a relationship. It's a relationship yeah. with God. And, and so, um, just praying over the sermon, praying over the space, it, it really makes me feel like I'm a part of this church. Um, and that's one of my big roles here is, is interceding for people. And, and yeah. with that, um, we also have the prayer list. So in the back, um, you know, a lot of you go and write down prayer requests and then they get typed in a PDF and they're sent in our group chat. And what I like to do is three or four times a week, I go on a long prayer walk. I I'm known for this. All my friends know me by this. Like my prayer walks, like I'll, I'll just go and I'll walk and I'll have the list and I'll pray over each and every single one of the prayers. And I say, Lord, like Love that. reveal to me exactly <laughs> what what you want to hear from me. Like, you know, these people's yeah. hearts, like, you know, I don't know these people yeah. and I, I'm blessed enough. Like I'm honored to get a glimpse into their lives and see, okay, like 
these are these are my people like these are my brothers and sisters yeah. and yeah. and seeing the suffering like and yeah. and even seeing the praises like we love when you guys write praise reports like we can praise god for you but like when i pray for people when i when i read things like you know my dad has cancer like yeah. you know um i'm really struggling with temptation like I, I just, so many scriptures come to my mind and I just lift them up to God. And so that sparks so much love in my heart towards every single person in here. And like awesome. even praying for the unprayed prayers. It's like, God, like, you know, everybody's heart. And so um, that's definitely changed my walk with God and allowed me to grow closer to him. And one last thing I'll yeah, say is um, um, like reading the prayers to it, it gives me a glimpse into the character of God. Like it's yeah. not just like me praying, you know, for people, it's it's me also talking to God and praising him. Like when I see things like, man, like I, I just need peace. I just need wisdom. I love that because it's like people are going in to God before that because they know that he's the God of peace. Yeah. Yeah. He knows he's the God of wisdom. They know that he can provide that. And that's a really beautiful thing. And so Amen. God's character gets revealed through um, the praises and, and the prayers that we lift up. Awesome. Awesome. Well said. So glad you're on this panel. You're just, it's just so amazing. Like to know that you go write a prayer and it's prayed for on prayer walks multiple times a week. I just think that's love in action. Um, Dick, talk to us about um, the ministry you work with is our seasoned adults. Um, and, and for many young people in this room, the seasoned adults they know is either their parents or, or their grandparents yeah. in some cases. What's the best way to practically in action love our parents and grandparents when they're in sort of that seasoned adult phase and we're learning how to be adult children? Yes. Yeah. So uh, let me let me uh, preface by saying that seasoned adult, my seasonal friends know this. Uh, we we divide seasoned adult folks into um, uh, folks who are go go, slow go, and no go. And uh, it's it's funny, but it's real. Uh, and and I would say folks who are in the slow go, no go stage. I think if you, if you have grandparents or if that they're just not moving around much anymore, their fear is of being shelved. Their fear is being segregated and just forgotten mm-hmm. and being. Kind of as kind of backhanded sort of relationships. The best thing you could do for your your loved ones who are in that stage of things is be real with them, mm-hmm. share real life with them, let them in on your real life because yeah. they really really care. They love you to pieces, and and you say, oh, I want you to pray for me about this and be real. Is one of the yeah. great honoring things you can do for folks at that stage. And the folks who are more active, um, I would say, you know, we're, we're really big on intergenerational relationships and friendships, working with seasoned adults in YA, for example. We're doing a lot of stuff in this area. Um, they really care about this. They really want to invest in, in you guys. I mean, just across the board. So let, let them, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. let them be a part of that and, and share so here's an adage. Uh, this is 60 seconds, right? Yeah, um, so I have an adage count. for you guys, and it goes like this. You can teach an old dog new tricks. Got it? You can also teach a young dog old tricks. Nice. Goes both ways. And we can get those relationships going like that. Everybody wins. It's yeah. a good, good thing. So let us be a part. Let's be in these relationships. Beautiful. Well said. Um, AJ, talk to us about, I know you're on a college campus doing ministry, and there's a lot of people here in college or grad school. Um, how do we love people well uh, when we're in the crazy, um, crazy, crazy that is college? I don't even know how to describe it. It's just insane sometimes. Talk to us about how we love people well. Yeah, well, you know, um, I think when you're in middle school, you're often asking the question of, do you like me? Uh, when you're in high school, you're often asking the question of, why should I like you? 
Uh, I think when you're in college, the question comes back to the original question, do you like me? Hmm. Uh, I think uh, people want to know that they're loved and valued. And for me, it's stepping onto campus and knowing, um, I know enough to know that I don't know that much, uh, that I can learn from everyone. Go out, go out and make disciples of all nations, Jesus said. The word disciple means one who learns, one who's being disciplined, you know, one who is studying. Um, going out there and saying, I want to know about you. Uh, I want to know, and maybe that means, hey, I'm, I should go over to Black Student Union, or I should go over to ASCLUG, or I should um, go to this group of people, or this group of people, and just being like, I'm a student, I'm a learner, I don't know it all. Uh, and if I know you better, I can love you better. Yeah, that's good. Well said. Um, Sarah, I want to ask the last question. I want to invite our band up. We're going to close the song here and um, just give that opportunity. But um, Sarah, I, I want you to kind of land the plane for some of us here. If I'm here tonight, I'm in this room, I'm listening, and, and the Holy Spirit of God's speaking to me and convicting me, saying, okay, you love in words and in speech, but not in action and in truth. You're not actually giving your lives for the sake of others in this church. Um, what are some real practical, tangible ways um, that we can love people here at this church, uh, specifically for, for this group here? Yeah, that's really good. So I really liked what you said, AJ, about you can love people better once you know them. So there's, there's a few different avenues. I think typically it's easy to dive in and say like, okay, go serve somewhere. That's awesome. That's a wonderful way to know people. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But I really think it does start with getting to know people in this room. That could happen through small group communities. Yeah. Um, that's hard. It's scary. It's to put a night out in your week and say like, I'm going to get to know people in a more vulnerable setting. Um, a friend tonight told me, she's like, Transparency makes a good window, but vulnerability makes a good door. And I think we're, we're called to that in the life of the believer in a safe, healthy manner. So start by getting to know people, whether it's a small group or like intentionally spending time in discipleship and exploring the word of God together in prayer. Join us on our prayer team. Yeah. That, that's the place to start. But above and beyond that, if you're like, okay, I think I you know, want to start serving I don't think there's a bad place to start. Like I came into this church working in kids ministry and didn't love children before then. I'm gonna be honest, it grew my heart to love the whole church. So I don't think there's a bad opportunity if you're just like paralyzed because you're like, I don't know if it's tech, I don't know if it's high school ministry or middle school ministry. Like, can I encourage you just to say yes? Like, often we're told in scripture, like, obedience precedes understanding. Yeah. But through serving alongside people in the body, even if you don't know them, can grow your heart to the greater community in ways that you can never have known, like, and in turn, like, be loved. Yeah. Like, same with, like, seasoned adults. Like, if you want to talk to Pastor Dick afterwards, we've both been to Salt Company, and it's incredible. It's incredible to also, like, meet other people in the church who have been sowing in prayer into this community and to you guys and learn from them and bring something to the table as well. So like, if you're like, okay, just give me a straight practical. Again, we have our serve sheets by the wall. Like if you're just interested, right? I'm interested in hearing more and we'd love to connect you, but really it starts with the relationship and then just saying yes to something and allowing God the space to do something grand with that in your life and lives of those around you. Amen. Well, can you give it up for our panelists tonight? Just say thank you for their time, for their faith, for their insight. And for their words. Um, let me close this in prayer here and then, uh, okay, everything's
It's collapsing. Um, this is their way of cutting me off. Okay, uh, let me close us in prayer here, if you don't mind. And then uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to seek the Lord and his great love for us. Um, so, Father in heaven, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to gather around the table and think about what it means to love in actual practice and action and in truth. God, I pray that we would be a church that does not just talk about love, but that actually shows it in such a way that costs us something. May we be a people who represent and reflect the love of Jesus Christ, who died for us. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Would you stand with us and sing?